0: If you're excited about remembering what happened to you, if you're trying to pass a test, if you're trying to not rely on Google and Alexa to remember everything in your life, then the secret to that is repeating. Repeating is the way that we remember things. It's the way that we lock things into our memory. And even sometimes the things that we don't care about remembering, the things that don't matter to us, the things that are trivial in life, they stick in there because we've heard them again and again and again. And I want to give you some examples of these. There's going to be a little bit of uh, participation this morning. I want you to fill in the blank when I show it on the slide. When it comes to Nike, their phrase is just... There we go. You guys are awesome. You've heard that one enough. When you go to Burger King, they tell you you can have it. Have it your way. When you go to Subway, they tell you to eat. Okay, awesome. You guys are doing good with this. This will be more the ladies one. With Maybelline, it's maybe she's born with it. Maybe she's not. Okay? Or maybe she's not born with it, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's Bournemouth maybe it's Maybelline. And then and then maybe my favorite one is We Are Farmers. Okay, some of you guys watch way too much TV. <laughs> But but all of these have been repeated. You've heard those phrases, maybe you've seen them on billboards or seen them on shirts. And what's interesting is that we don't remember these because they're particularly profound or even because they're true. I've been in some subways before and I'm like, eat fresh, I'm not so sure. No, the truth is we remember them because they're simple and because they're repeated consistently. That pattern locks them in our minds, and even though we wish we could get some of those phrases and jingles and slogans out, we've, we've locked them in. And so we experience the power of repeating, and we see the significance it has to, to help us remember it, but we also have a problem. And that problem is this, our addiction to novelty makes repeating difficult. We we live in a culture that that loves, and I would even say is addicted to novelty. One of the downsides of this little device that we carry with us wherever we go is that there's always something new there. Every time you turn it on, there's something new, something novel to look at, and that makes repeating truths and experiences and habits difficult because there's this problem of boredom. There's no faster way for my kids to make me frustrated than to say those two words, I'm bored. And I just, am like, I get a little bit of a twitch when they say that, you know? And, and what's so interesting is that, that often when we're children, boredom is the great enemy. We, we wanna do all we can to avoid it, yet we grow up and we don't actually grow beyond it. We find ourselves just turning to different things to solve the problem of boredom. And the reason that many of us don't see the change we want in life is simple. We get bored and give up. That in the same way that children find boredom to be completely intolerable, we do the same thing, except for us, it's we get bored with doing the same things over and over, and we want to have more novelty. We want to have more, more fun, surprising, exciting, different experiences. This week I opened up the thesaurus and I was looking for a word and, and the thesaurus tells you not only what's the synonym, you know, the same word, also tells you the antonym, the opposite word. According to the thesaurus, the opposite of novelty is habit. It was the very first word I saw when I looked up, what is the opposite of novelty? It's habit. And, and many of us, because we get bored, we abandon habits long before they give us the payoff. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you've been in this series called You in Five Years, and we've been talking about the fact that, that we are becoming a certain kind of person, and if, if nothing changes, us in five years will merely be an exaggerated version of who we are today. And in some places, that's really good news. But in other places, that's the worst news. Because us in five years, if we're just an exaggerated version of today, we'll be unhealthy. We'll, we'll be missing out on part of what ha- God has for us. You might see an end to a vital relationship in your life if you in five years is just an exaggerated version of who you are today. And in this series, one of the themes we've been looking at is consistency. That consistency requires choosing habits over novelty, That if we merely give ourselves to what's fun and exciting and new and fresh and different and that has our attention, that we won't actually give ourselves to the habits that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, five years from now make us the people that God created us to be. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at different pieces, talking about future you. We talked about hurry. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about worry. And today, we're going to talk about this topic of insecurity. I I know there's often a period in life that that a lot of us would like our best to just forget, high school, where we find ourselves plagued with insecurity. But, But what I've found as a pastor over the last 18 years is that insecurity is not a stage of life problem. I wish it was. I wish you would just outgrow it the way you outgrow certain things in your childhood or teenage years. But, but I have found that insecurity creeps, on us, creeps up on us in every stage of life. And I find people who are 17 and 70 who are both dealing with the same thing. And so here's the big idea that we're going to unpack this morning if you're taking notes. And because I mentioned repeating, you're going to hear it a lot today. I hope it locks in. The big idea is this. If you want to reap a harvest, you need to repeat a process. If you're looking to reap a harvest with your life in some area that's important or significant to you, then you need to repeat a process. And the place that I'm hoping to help you this year to reap a harvest is you becoming more like Jesus. That's the way I'm gonna measure success this year is are you more like Jesus in December than you were in January? And and was I able to help you take steps in that direction? That's my goal. My goal isn't for you to like me. My goal isn't for you to, to retweet me. My goal isn't for, for you to be like, you know, chairperson of my fan club. My goal is to help you become more like Jesus. And in order to become more like Jesus, there's three things that we have to do. At least three things, I would say. And the first one is this. We have to repeat the truth about God's character and we have to trust him. We have to continually repeat to ourselves the truth about God's character and not just know it, but trust him in it. There's lots of places in the Bible that we could talk about God's character, that we could explore who he is. But I think one of the best ones is in the middle of your Bible in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to grab them, open them up, turn them on, however you're going to engage with God's word this morning. And Psalm, says the middle of the Bible. It's the longest by chapter book in the Bible. And in Psalm 139, I think we have maybe the best psalm. I know Psalm 23 gets a lot of attention, lots of artwork, lots of books, but Psalm 139, I think, should be in the running for the best psalm because it talks so much to us about who God is and about who we are. If you found your way there, I want to begin just at the beginning of the chapter There it says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord." This morning, if you're taking notice, notes, under point one, you're going to find three blanks. And I want to teach you three important theological words. They're all big words, which maybe you may be intimidated by. But, but you've done hard things before. You've learned the difference between tall and grande and venti. You know the difference between a frappuccino and a cappuccino? If you like capuchins and the difference between a dry one and a wet one, you've learned big words before and you can do this, okay? So here's the first big word I want to teach you today. We serve a God of omniscience. Omniscience. Omniscience means all knowing. We serve a God that is all knowing. And we see this right here at the beginning of Psalm 139. David says, you searched me and you know me. You know in the morning when I sit down and then at night when I stand back up, you understand all of my thoughts. You you know my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know it. And the beautiful thing and the powerful thing about God's omniscience for us practically is this. God knows everything, so we don't have to. There are a lot of us that, that were like my children. Dad, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Every morning, they haven't even finished their breakfast. Dad, what are we having for dinner? I'm like, have you ever missed a meal? <laughs> no? Then you don't need to know. But a lot of us are the same way. God, what about this? And what about this? And how are we going to handle that? And what about this? And this might never happen, but we sh- I should know about this. Some of us, when we think about the things that we want to know or we need to know, it's not a problem of knowledge. It's a longing for control. And God knows everything. He's omniscient. And that frees us up from the burden of having to know everything. But David doesn't stop there. If you go down to verse 7, this is what he says. He says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which would be the place of death, you are there. If I live On the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. The first word was omniscience. The second word is omnipresence. We serve a God of omnipresence, which means that God is all present. Sometimes I think we we don't think about that, And so when we're praying, we say, God, we want you to be here with us today. Would you come and be present with us today? And guess what? That is a prayer we don't need to pray because he's here. And what David says is that there's nowhere that he could flee from God's presence. If he could go up to heaven, God would be there. If he died, God would be there. If he went to the east or to the west... If he went into the darkness or the light, God was continually with him. And this is really important because some of us get this idea that God is present when we're being good and God is absent when we're being bad. I can't tell you how many occasions people will walk in on a Sunday morning and be looking around and I said, can I help you with something? Are are you lost? And they said, no, I'm just kind of waiting for the sky to fall in or lightning to strike because I'm in church. (laughs) Because if you knew where I'd been or what I'd done, I just, I, I can't imagine myself here. But what David was trying to tell us thousands of years ago is that there is nowhere life will take us where God cannot meet us. There's nowhere that life will take us or our choices will take us, the best moments and the worst moments. God is right there. Omnipresence. But but David isn't done. Look at verse 13. He says, for it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. He continues, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. The third big word I want to teach you is this word, and it's the word omnipotence. We serve a God of omnipotence, and that means that God is all-powerful, that there is nothing that could be done that God doesn't have the power to do. And David unpacks this with his own life and his own story saying, all the different pieces of who I am, God, are a result of your handiwork, your power, your strength. God, you're capable of doing everything. And so when we run up against our limits, we go, man, I don't have the power to, to change that. I don't have the control to prevent that. I don't have the, 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 context or, or the, the strength to draw on to pull that off. God does. And so it's this reminder that we don't have to be in control constantly because God already is. That God's capable of exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. And we are the testament to that. All the 200 and something bones of your body were put there and made by God every hair on your head, every day of your life comes as a result of God's power. And, and last week, Pastor Josh was up here and he, he talked, about, talked about the principle of, of training. He brought out a, a dumbbell and he did a couple amazing curls for us. I decided not, not to bring out a bigger dumbbell and try to compete with him because we don't need that kind of energy today. But he gave us a really important principle. He said we need to stop trying and we need to start training. He showed us that that none of us would walk up to two school buses over at the yard for Prescott Unified School District today and try to curl those two school buses. But he showed us that if we committed to training day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, in a couple of years, we could lift those two school buses in weight by this training mindset. And when it comes to what we've just learned about who God is, I I want to encourage you that meditating on your problems is trying, and meditating on God's character is training. A lot of you are actually closer than you think to repeating and remembering who God is, because you have a PhD in worrying. Some of you, like, you should be doctor when it comes to your worrying skills. And here's the difference. Worrying is meditating on your problems. Praying is meditating on God's character. It's the same skill, just with a different object, and so for those of us who've tried to control life by meditating on our problems, we need to take that same skill and say, hey, instead of focusing and worrying and meditating and over and over thinking what could go wrong, we need to begin meditating on who God is. And as we train and practice that, we will grow. Because if you want to reap a harvest, you need to repeat a process. Here's the second piece of becoming more like Jesus, especially when it comes to our insecurity, and that's to to repeat your identity as a child of God and embrace it. Repeat your identity as a child of God and embrace it. I, when I sit down to write, like I did this week for this message, I, I don't do that in silence. I'm not, Nothing against silence, I just write best with some music. And I don't listen to uh, songs that have lyrics. I find that those lyrics are distracting from the words that I'm trying to write. So what I will often do is I will listen to soundtracks as I write. And my favorite composer uh, in this kind of season of my life is a man named Hans Zimmer. I think he's the second best composer of all time behind John Williams when it comes to movie soundtracks. These are some of his works. Gladiator, the Dark Knight series, Interstellar, uh, Dune, Top Gun Maverick, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing composer. And so as I write Often I'll be listening to his songs or kind of a comp- compilation or playlist of his greatest hits. And so often what happens is I've listened to these songs so much that as I'm listening to them, sometimes I'll remember certain things that I've written and associate them with those songs. What's interesting is whether or not you like movie soundtracks, we all have soundtracks in our head. And, and they're the phrases and the things and the thoughts that come back again and again. You have thousands of thoughts every single day. And science has shown that about 80% of our thoughts are repetitive day after day. And those soundtracks run in our head. And some of them are life-giving. Some of them are helpful. But, but truthfully, we kind of all know the other part. A lot of them are unhelpful. They're intrusive, negative, depressing, discouraging thoughts. They're they're things that other people have said about us that, that kind of discourage us. They're, they're our greatest hits of our failures and disappointments. And one of the things we said in the first week in this series is that if we really want to sustain change over the next five years, if you in five years is going to be different than who you are today, that will not be primarily based upon your willpower, It'll be based on a change in your identity. And when it comes to your soundtracks, identity-based change involves three steps. And I want to give a shout-out to John Acuff, who has an amazing book called Soundtracks, where I've drawn some of this next slide. But he said that the way that you do this is first and foremost to identify and interrupt the old soundtracks. And, and that begins with just going, hey, I have a soundtrack. Oh, I know that voice. That's the voice that always creeps up whenever I try something new. That's the voice that always creeps up when I fail. That's the voice that always creeps up when I'm getting ready for a presentation or, or a date or an important moment. And, and identifying that soundtrack then leads you to go, hey, I'm just going to pause that for a second and not just embrace it as if it's true. Secondly, I'm going to begin to replace that soundtrack with a new one. And so in the same way that, that if you don't like the song, you can hit skip and you can change the song, you recognize, hey, I need a new soundtrack that, that replaces that old, not helpful, not life-giving thing with something new that is true and that is life-giving, that is true about who God sees me as. And then third, and this is the part a lot of us skip, you have to repeat the new ones until they define who you are. Let me just tell you the the hard truth. If you've had a negative soundtrack for a while, maybe since you were young, you aren't going to fix it in a month. You might not even fix it this year. But in five years, if you went through this process again and again, and you repeated that new one over and over, it would begin to define who you are in a way that replaced the old soundtrack. I brought a couple examples of of soundtracks that I'd encourage you that you need to replace when it comes to your identity. And one of them is this, I've failed too much to do anything great for God. A lot of us feel like the things in our past, our mistakes and our failures disqualify us from from God using us. And so our soundtracks are all those hits, all those moments, all those reasons why God would never pick somebody like me. And yet in the the best chapter, in my opinion, in the Bible, Romans chapter eight, near the end, this is what Paul writes. And Paul was somebody who's well acquainted with failure, by the way. Any of you um, a terrorist of Christians? I didn't think so, Um, but that was Paul. Literally made it his purpose to kill and wreck Christianity. So if anybody failed too much to be used by God, it'd be Paul. But here's what he says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was the soundtrack that Paul began to play whenever he was reminded of all the reasons why God shouldn't use him. And that soundtrack enabled him to start focusing on the ways that God has shown his love for him. And he was encouraging the Romans to start playing the soundtracks and the reminders of these are all the things that God has done to show you his love. So when you feel unworthy, go back and remember that. Another common soundtrack is this. I I feel inadequate for what God has called me to do. If God has ever kind of led you to do something, inadequacy is probably a feeling you've wrestled with. Maybe that inadequacy is God called you to Prescott to care for an aging parent. Or God called you to raise a child with special needs. Or God called you into a job or an opportunity that you don't feel like you have the skills for or the the competency for. Well, consider these examples. In Exodus chapter three, Moses is called to go and be the mouthpiece for God to Pharaoh. And yet Moses has a stuttering problem and he hates being up front in front of people. And God says, no, I'm gonna go I'm going to have you go, and I'm going to use you. Gideon was the the least um, son in the smallest tribe in all of Israel, and God found him hiding in a grain silo. And he called him to go out and face an army of over 100,000 people. And if that wasn't scary enough, God took away 90% of his troops before he sent him. Esther has a whole book named after her, and if you know that story, you know she felt incredibly insecure about going to the king and pleading for the the future of her own people. Peter, who starts his his life in the Bible as Simon, his name Simon means wishy-washy or inconsistent, and yet God renames him Peter Petra, which means rock. See, these truths and stories are a reminder that that we need to start trusting in God's promise to equip us and empower us. And so when that, that soundtrack comes in your head that I'm not qualified, I'm not adequate, I don't have what it takes, you need to identify and interrupt that soundtrack and turn to the truth of God's word and say, God has a long history of calling people like me who have no business doing what I'm doing. And God's going to give me what I need when I need it. He's going to equip and power me. And that's why if you want to reap a harvest, you got to repeat a process. And you can't get bored along the way and give up, which is our third piece of this journey. We need to repeat our daily habits with God and don't give up. If you want to become more like Jesus, it isn't just a burst of energy or some intensity at the beginning of the year. It's day after day, week after week, small habits. In the section of your Bible that you don't typically go to the minor prophets, which is that section kind of after Psalms and Proverbs is done before you get to Matthew, there's a book called Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah records the messages that God sent the people of Israel after they had returned from captivity and they were going to rebuild the temple. The the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It took decades to build and God had spent the whole reign of Solomon's father David preparing for the temple to be built. But it was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. And so Zechariah was there as a prophet to help speak to the people about this this rebuilding effort of the temple. And here's what Zechariah records in Zechariah 4.6. Says, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, who is going to lead the efforts of rebuilding. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. And look down at verse 10, if your Bible's there. There, Zachariah says to Zerubbabel, Don't despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. A lot of us get so discouraged in the beginning because we see the work ahead and it's so daunting. And and Zechariah 4 reminds us, don't despise small beginnings and simple habits. That temple was built not in a day, but day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And it started small. So you you couldn't give up and you had to hold on to that vision. And a lot of us, the truth is, we get discouraged and give up because we forget how change happens. And when we say we, what I really mean is me. The end of last year, I I opened up Instagram on my phone, which is always a questionable decision. You never know how it's going to go. And and I was scrolling through my feed and I saw a post and I was like, oh, I know that story. It was a post by another pastor and he was telling a story in a series of images called the carousel. And it's a story that I told in my second sermon at Cornerstone seven and a half years ago. It's a story that I've written about. It's a story that I've talked about in other settings. And I was like, oh, that's a cool story. I know that story. I was like, okay, he did a good job telling it. And then as I went back throughout the day, On Instagram, I saw that people went crazy for this story. It was going viral. Had like 10,000 likes. And truthfully, I didn't like it. I was kind of mad. I'm like, I told that story in a sermon, and I wrote about it in articles, and I posted about it on social media, and I didn't get 10,000 likes. What's the deal? Then I went on his profile, and I was like, what the heck? The last time I'd seen this guy's profile, he had like 30,000 followers. How many did he have then? 130,000 followers. And truthfully, if you were in my heart in that moment, what you would have seen was envy, bitterness, anger, because he was getting all of this praise and attention and following for something that I didn't feel like I had. And it wasn't good what was happening in my heart. I'm just telling you the truth. And then God began to convict me. And he said, Scott, look at what this man, his name's Ian, has done. And I started scrolling through, and I don't think Ian has missed a day in making one of those kind of carousels in a year. That's a lot of work. And what God convicted my heart about is that I was envying the results he'd got While I rejected the daily work he'd done to get those results. Because I went through my feed and I haven't been nearly as consistent. I haven't worked nearly as hard. And so what happened was I was feeling convicted. And so I pulled my phone out, went to a different app, opened the camera. And I said, hi, Ian, my name is Scott. You don't know me, but let me just tell you a little bit of a story. And I told him about what I'd done. I don't know what compelled me to do this. Never met, never met him before. Wouldn't know him from Adam if I saw him in the street. But I said, you just need to know this is how God has used your faithfulness in my life to reveal in me something that needs to change. And I didn't think I was going to get a response because he's got 130,000 followers. What's one random guy from Prescott? And he replied. And he said, I've never gotten a video like that before. I never made one before, Ian. Um, He's like, I just want you to know that that really encouraged me today. And um, so we started, you know, talking and he's like, hey, if you're ever in Nashville, he he lives in in Nashville, uh, I'll buy you lunch. Which I think makes me his friend, but according to Pastor Josh, guys on the internet are not my friends. Um, (laughs) So maybe once we have lunch in Nashville this year, we can be friends. But here's here's the lesson from that story. God's responsibility is outcomes. Our responsibility is obedience. And all too often, we envy the results or the outcome that someone else has. And we ignore the process. Man, their marriage looks so awesome. If you only knew what they went through to get to the place where they can talk like that. Man, that relationship they have is so awesome. If you only knew the price they paid to have trust like that. Man, Man, the place where they're at financially is so awesome. If you only knew all the years that they sacrificed and they lived on less and they made choices that no one else agreed with. We can't control the outcomes, but we can obey what God has called us to do. And when it comes to becoming the person God made you to be, here's the inconvenient and difficult truth. Becoming the person God made you to be is going to be slower than you think. Which is bad news because we live in a culture that loves fast. If Amazon can't deliver it in two ways, then why even buy it? (laughs) When it comes to becoming more like Jesus, it's going to be harder than you think. It's not the easy path. Jesus himself says broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And friends, it's going to cost you more than you think to become the person God made you to be. We live in a culture that likes things fast, easy, and cheap. And yet becoming who God made you to be is going to be slow. It's going to be hard. And it's going to cost you everything. But I do have good news. In Galatians 6, this is what Paul says. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. If you want to reap a harvest, you need to repeat a process. And here's some ideas about how you can get started this week. The first one is I want to encourage you to read Psalm 139 and meditate on one aspect of God's character. Psalm 139 is 24 verses. If you're in a drive-thru line today, you probably could start it when you get in line and have it done when you got your food. For those of you who are Dutch Bros fans, you probably could listen to the whole book of Psalms while you're in line at Dutch Bros. <laughs> but pick one aspect of God's character. Maybe it's his omniscience or his omnipotence or his omnipresence or it's something else you see in that chapter, but, but spend time giving your thoughts to that. What would that mean? What if that were true? What if I lived in light of that? Thank you, God, for that. And just allow your your mind to be consumed with that. Not just today. I mean, not even this week. Number two, I want you to repeat the you are beloved meditation with a loved one. You say, Scott, what is that? Well, A number of years ago, Henry Nowen went to the Crystal Cathedral, which was at that time the most famous church in America. And he gave a sermon. And that that sermon actually inspired my very first sermon at Cornerstone. I wasn't there that day. I watched it on YouTube years later. But sitting in the seats that day was a young man named Bobby. And he took what Nowen shared that day about our identity and God's unconditional love for us And he turned it into a short reading that he began to repeat to himself that I'm going to share with you right now. And the the words that are bolded at the end of the sentence, I'd like you to read as we go through it, okay? So the reading is like this. I am not what I, I am not what I, I am not what I am. Nothing can take that away from me. I don't need to. I don't need to. I can trust. I'm going to ask my friend Kelly to put us back to that first slide because I want you to say that again. And this time I'm just going to turn it over to you. So Kelly, can you be able to back to the first slide in that section there? Let's start together. And I want you to read the whole thing together out loud. I am not what I do. And I I have this belief that if you took these words and you repeated them and meditated them in 2024, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, something would change in the soundtrack of your mind. So we have some copies of these out in the lobby at the connection table and they're available online. A lot of you grew up being told that you were anything but beloved. But if you saw yourself the way God does and you believed about yourself, what he says about you, I think your relationship with insecurity would radically change. Here's the third step. I want you to identify the one small habit God is calling you to do through this series and practice it consistently. If you've been with us for four weeks, been in this series since the beginning of January, and and I'm just guessing there's something God's brought to mind for you. And I just encourage you that that you cannot overestimate the power of one simple, small habit done consistently over time. We tend to like our to-do list long and our resolution list longer, But part of the reason why those fail to change us is that we get bored and we give up. And As we said in the first week in this series, we tend to overestimate what we can do in one year and we underestimate what God can do in five years. And I just would encourage you, one small act of obedience done with your whole heart again and again in the hands of God You cannot comprehend what God could do through that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your promise that the work you started in us, you will finish. You don't abandon your resolutions in mid-January. You don't get bored of doing the right thing and give up. You are committed to the work you started in us when we were saved, and you're going to finish it. And so we pray that that we might recognize with greater awareness the magnificence of who you are. But we pray that that our our hearts would become open to to your omniscience and your omnipotence and your omnipresence. That as we get a grasp of, of your grandeur and your beauty that that we would recognize just the the real size of our problems and the real size of our God. Jesus, so many of us have these soundtracks playing in our minds that are that are destructive, they're not life-giving, they're not true, but but because we know them so well, we treat them as if they are. And I just pray today. Jesus for my brothers and sisters that that your word and what you say about them and how you see them would become in their minds the truest thing about them. I pray that you might replace their, their negative broken soundtracks with the truth of your word. That they might recognize that they are your beloved child and nothing and all of creation can change that. And Jesus, I pray that over the next five years, that they might be blown away at what your Holy Spirit does to make them more like Jesus. And the places where they don't believe that's possible, I pray that you strengthen their belief. And I pray that we as a church could be at a place where those kind of miracles happen and we give you the glory for them. Build our life like you did Peter on the rock that is your word. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen.